0: Check one. Check. Check. Sweet. Love wins. Drop the mic. We're done here. (laughs) Time to go home. Love wins. Love wins. Though I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes in our world it feels the opposite, right? Um, Today we're going to talk about a topic that is of interest even to someone who may not go to church or believe in God. And Jesus is talking with the Sadducees here this morning, uh, or at that time, I should say, but we're going to talk about it this morning, about the afterlife. Heaven and hell. Somewhat uncomfortable talk for many people, right? In our modern, sophisticated world, these things aren't necessarily believed in by folks. Heaven and hell, is it real? What happens after we die? Jesus is going to dive right into that. Last week we talked about Jesus in politics. Now we're talking about Jesus in the afterlife. We're hitting the big topics now. We're hitting the big ones. But really, what Jesus is talking about when he speaks of heaven, when he speaks of the afterlife, it's all about love. It's all about love. Many of us have had an experience of love, right? Maybe you had it. Even this week, I did. I was in a retreat in Florida, and I was with a bunch of other church planners doing the exact same thing I'm doing. And oh, was it sweet? We're just loving each other. We're just kind of, I mean, admittedly, we whined together a little bit, which was nice. Uh, we complained a little bit, but it was, you know, obviously not about you, of course, but just about myself and just about sometimes the job is difficult, you know. And um, it was just so sweet that I was on the plane from Charlotte to Charlottesville, the final leg of my trip, and it was super embarrassing because I just started crying. You ever had this experience where you just, you're on an airplane and you can't get away from these people? So you're just sitting there and I'm like, tears are like dripping down my face. I'm trying to like wipe them away and I'm like, what are these guys thinking next to me? You know, it's all businessmen flying on a Thursday evening back home, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> and you know, I'm, I, I'm trying to get Kleenexes wiping on my arms, you know. But it was because I was, I was just, I had had an experience of love. And I was having to fly away from it. I don't know if you have this when, like, college students, when you go home, maybe for Christmas or some other holiday, or anyone goes home to see family, and you come back and feel a little bit of that. As you're pulling out of the driveway. It's like, ah, because family is that place where we feel known, and we know the people we're around. We feel accepted. We feel loved. But and love, y'all, love is real. Love is powerful. Love is life changing. And for the Sadducees, it was difficult for them to understand love because they didn't believe in the afterlife. They believed in neither heaven nor hell. They believed that this soul was destroyed along with the body when someone died. And so it was very difficult for them to conceive of a real love. A real love. And so our main point today is not just that love wins, but also that you're not alone. Because that's, that's sort of the end point of not believing in the afterlife. The end point of not, if you're honest, if you're honest about not believing in heaven or hell, the end point is you are alone, right? That's the logical conclusion of it all. I mean, that's, this is what, you have to appreciate the existentialists in the middle of the 20th well, middle of the 19th century, really, the existentialist writers like Sartre and Camus. And and a lot of these guys were writing, acknowledging that, you know, if we toss out heaven, hell, the afterlife, you're left, nothing has meaning. Nothing matters. It doesn't. You can play the game that something matters. You can play the game that society needs good rules and people need to kind of care for one another and whatever. But at the end of the day, if it's all just going to burn up, it's all, if every memory of everything that ever happened is going to fade, nothing matters. Nothing. What you do doesn't matter. But if there is, and this is what Jesus is getting into in this beautiful story today, if there is an afterlife, if there is a heaven and hell, things matter. And not only that, love matters. Love is at the heart of what matters in this world. So let's dive into that. And I want to I dive into this passage about the afterlife and about the absence of love and the presence of love. And I want to do it under three headings, if you're a note taker. We're going to do it under three headings. Well, the first thing we're going to look at is the power of pretentiousness. The power of pretentiousness. Then we're going to look at the power of presumption. This is all has to do with the Pharisees. I mean the Sadducees. Okay, I'm going to, sorry, y'all. I'm going to get him confused for a minute today. But it's this religious group that's approaching Jesus, challenging him. And then lastly, we're going to look, lastly, we're going to look at the power of possession. So, the power of pretentiousness, the power of presumption, and then we're lastly the power of possession. Power of possession. Let's let's start by looking at the Sadducees. The Sadducees were one of these religious groups that were interacting with Jesus. They were a Jewish sect that was living at the time of Jesus along with the Pharisees. I know some of this can get confusing, so that's why I'm going to dive into explaining it a little bit this morning. We have to understand who they were before we can understand why they asked Jesus this question. Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem. He's ridden in on a donkey. It's the triumphal entry. This is when Jesus is bringing his ministry public. Right Up to this point, he had told people who he had healed and he had told the disciples, shh, don't tell anyone who I am. But the triumphal entry happened. In chapter 21, you guys remember this a few weeks back? Here he comes on the donkey. People have got their big palm branches and they're blowing. And he's saying, yes, the king is here. The Messiah has arrived. And of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who don't believe for one second in this this guy, this Messiah character who's coming into town, they're like, let's challenge him. Let's bring the heat. So we saw the Pharisees bring the heat, right? The Pharisees challenged him with they they brought the herodians up with the little coin remember this one they brought the coin up and they were like who do we pay you know do we pay the head tax or do we not pay the head tax huh that's the pharisees see the pharisees this pharisaical group was kind of roughly comparable to ultra conservatives roughly comparable to ultra conservatives of our day right they were the people who were like you can they said you can earn god's love you can do it if you apply yourself, we have got a set of rules. And you if you work hard enough, if you're clean enough, if you do it right, you can get God's love. We promise. It's going to be five steps. This was the Pharisees of the day, right? And so they challenged. They, they couldn't stand Jesus because Jesus rubbed in their face constantly. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. Jesus was constantly challenging the Pharisees, not because Jesus was lowering the bar. They called him a drunkard. They called him a lawbreaker. But Jesus challenged them, not because they felt like he was lowering the bar, but he constantly was pushing the bar higher for them. Right? Remember when we studied the Beatitudes? Remember when we studied the chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew? Jesus pushed the bar higher. And he said, look, the bar's much higher than you ever imagined. You ain't reaching it. (laughs) you ain't going there and they hated it because they built their entire life on reaching the bar of getting God's love the Sadducees though were basically the opposite the Sadducees and the Pharisees hated each other the Sadducees were the they were born into the priesthood right the Pharisees earned their way into the priesthood the Sadducees were born there they were aristocratic they were highly educated they were wealthy They were born with their wealth. And they were sophisticated people, right? They only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And they didn't believe in silly things like supernaturalism. They didn't believe in things like heaven and hell. Yeah, of course, they believed that people should be decent to one another and that people should try to follow the law of God. But ultimately, you know, let's... (laughs) This stuff about... These supernatural things that happened, this this heaven and hell stuff, this is silly. (laughs) Come on. We've got it figured out, right? We've got it figured out. So they would be roughly comparable, and y'all, this is rough, okay? Roughly comparable to sort of religious liberalism of our day, right? Yeah, morals, good, you know, teaching from the Bible, that's good. We do that. But all this stuff about, y'all about these supernatural events, Jesus doing miracles. Come on. Who are we kidding? We've got this stuff figured out, right? Science has proven that this stuff never could have happened. Right? There's no heaven and hell. Those are just tactics used by the church to make you scared of things. That's who this was. That's who this was approaching Jesus and their goal and their question, they had this scenario set up where, hey Jesus, there was this guy and you know, they, they appealed to the, what's called the Leveret Law. The Leverett Law from the Old Testament, which was very kind, because it because in that in that society at the time, that agricultural society, they the people um, a woman who was you know widowed would have not would not be able to support herself e- even like today, and so she would kind of be left on her own, especially if she didn't have children, she would really be left on her own, and so there's this kind law that said, okay, if a if a if a dude dies and there's this woman who's left as a widow, then the brother can step in and take care of her. Become uh, her wife, her husband. Getting there. Her husband and take care of her, right? And so what the the goal of the Sadducees is here is they want to make Jesus look silly. But they don't want to just make Jesus look silly. They want to make his belief in the afterlife and in heaven look silly. So they're like, let's set up a scenario, guys. Uh, Yeah, so... We're going to appeal to those laws, Jesus, that you would appeal to, too. So there was this, there was this, there was this woman, and you know, she got married, and her husband died before she had kids, and then she got another one, and there, all the way, there's seven of them. So who's, who's she going to be married to when you get to heaven? And they're just waiting for Jesus to answer. And they're like, they're wanting Jesus to be like, yeah, you're right, you're right, Sadducees, that's absurd. <laughs> this whole thing, this whole heaven setup, this is absurd. That's what they really want him to do. But they'll also take the second alternative. They'll take the second alternative of Jesus being like, well, let's see, let's do some math here. Uh, Well, it might have been the third one, but it could have been the first, and then the second one would have to pass down to the third. And Jesus Jesus would still look ridiculous. Either way, Jesus answered, you look ridiculous, Jesus. (laughs) See, we made you look silly. All these beliefs you have in the afterlife, heaven and hell, (laughs) ridiculous. Ridiculous. That was the goal of the Sadducees here as they come to Jesus. But it's an incredibly pretentious goal. That's the power of pretentiousness. It, prev- it kept them from love. And we're going to see that as we go on. But the bottom line is, Jesus is going to confound them. And he, he right away, he calls them out on the carpet. He says, just point blank, you're wrong. <laughs> He's like, you're wrong. I have knowledge that you do not have. Because, see, they in their pretentiousness, they assumed that Jesus was beneath them. That what Jesus was bringing, that Jesus' views, was beneath them, right? They had got it figured out. They had come to a point where their education had proven to them that this was silliness, this idea of heaven and hell was crazy talk. They were above it, right? Y'all, all of our hearts go there sometimes, don't they? all of our hearts this is sometimes you feel it maybe of like i think i have things figured out a little bit above what god is teaching but the reality here as jesus approaches them he says there are things if you're willing to remember who you are if you rem- if you remember if you're willing to remember that you're a creature and that i have knowledge that you don't know anything of then, then there, is, there might be some ways that you need to put yourself under my teaching. That's what Jesus is saying to them. And Jesus, he opens up the door a little bit. Think about what Jesus tells these guys. And we're going to get right now into the power of presumption. So that's the power of pretentiousness. It keeps us from love. The power of pretentiousness keeps us from love. I'm above God, it keeps us from love. But also the power of presumption. We know how this works, God. That's what they were saying to him. We know, right? So we marry on earth will marry in heaven. Right? They're presuming that. Even in this little setup, this little funny scenario they're trying to trap Jesus in. Marriage in, on earth? Then obviously there's going to be marriage in heaven. And Jesus is like, hold up. You, you know very little. Like You're trying to make fun of heaven, but you don't even know what it's all about. There's not going to be marriage in heaven. Okay, what? Right? There's not going to be marriage in heaven? Wesley, what in the world? What are we going to do about that? Um, It sounds kind of strange on the surface, doesn't it? And not only does he say there's not going to be marriage in heaven, but people won't get married when they're in heaven. And he goes on, he he layers on top of that. He says, and when you're in heaven, when human beings are in heaven, there there will be some angelic qualities. He said they will be like the angels, says Jesus. Let's unpack that for a minute. Let's unpack what that means. So first of all, it does not mean something like the first episode of Black Mirror. Netflix show. You guys ever watch Black Mirror, Netflix show? It's pretty dark. Get ready if you're going to watch it. It's kind of scary. I didn't recommend it. But the first episode is this weird Star Trek episode where there's this guy, he's a developer. He's like a computer programmer developer. And he creates a video game where, uh, you know, people. it's this online multiplayer video game and the whole world loves it. Well, then he created a similar version in his own computer at home and he can take people's DNA, like if you, if you sucked on a sucker or if you swabbed your mouth, he can take DNA and he can put it under this little computer thing he's got and actually enter them into the video game at his home computer, where it's like a sentient part of this person living inside of this being. Basically, he's playing God. That's the bottom line. And the, the show, of course, because he's a human being, portrays him as being evil, dark. And so he messes with the people inside. And he has this... Incredibly cruel way of dealing with them, and he he treats them very poorly. And one of the things, and I found this particularly interesting. It's a little bit inappropriate for a sermon, but here we go. Uh, is that they the people in there figure out that they're they're uh, neutered, shall we say? I'm trying to think of a good word. That's but they basically don't have any sexual organs. We'll we'll go with that. Sterile. Yeah. But more than that, they they're they're kind of like it's like a plastic Barbie doll sort of thing. Okay, just think of that. But the point is, it was one more way that they were like, this person is cruel to us. That you would take this away from us? Right? I think, I think on the surface, when Jesus is saying this, it's easy to think something along those lines. Is this just cruelty? Are we just going to be like friends in heaven? Like everybody's going to be friends. You know, just come, calm down, y'all. You know, you've got this wonderful intimate, erotic love here on earth, and then in heaven it's going to be chum-chummies. Just like, yeah, oh, hey, hey, friend. N- not possible. Not possible from what we know about God. Not possible from what we know about Jesus and his teaching. The point Jesus is making is it's going to be wildly beyond beyond anything you can possibly imagine here on this earth. It's, it's, not, there's, it's not that marriage is going to be taken away because it's going to be replaced by some Platonic neutered weirdness. But there's going to be such rapture in heaven, such intimacy with the Lord, such erotic love that it's going to make everything on this earth pale in comparison. Right? And if you're married... uh, How do I say this? Nope. I'm not going to say that. Um, Okay. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Moving on. The point is that it's going to be more wonderful than anything you can imagine or have you ever, you've ever had on this earth. That's the kind of love. And Jesus describes this love even a couple chapters back when he talks about the wedding feast, right? We talked about the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so the wedding feast of the Lamb is trying to paint the picture that the intimacy that we have with Jesus is like a bride and a bridegroom. And that's exactly what Paul says also in 1 Corinthians. He says the fact that He says, marriage is given to us as a picture of the wedding feast, the marriage between Jesus and the church. It's a picture of that. That's the He's saying, what you have now, what you have in marriage on earth, or even, y'all, I mean, it doesn't have to be marriage. Kids in here, kids in here. It doesn't have to be marriage. Even a close friendship, you get to experience some level of deep intimacy, right? Even like when a teenager goes out on a weekend, um, most teenagers like i remember when i was a kid and this may be your experience with your teenagers they don't say something like hey dad mom we're going to xyz location for 3 hours and then we'll move on to the next xyz location for a half hour they just say i'm going out <laughs> i'm going out with my friends because that literally is all that matters all that matters is not what the destination is it's who's going on the destination who's going on the journey right? There's a deep there's an intimacy we have even with friends that Jesus is saying the intimacy we're going to have with God in heaven is going to surpass anything of that nature. It's going to be an incredible intimacy. Well, how do we know that? Okay, it's fine for me to say that, right? It's fine for me to imply that, that, oh, hey, guess what? It's going to be more awesome. The love in heaven with God and with one another is going to be more awesome than anything you've ever experienced on this earth. How do we know that? Jesus explains it. Jesus explains it to the the Sadducees. He says, what you've been missing is not only the power of God, an understanding of the power of God, you're also missing an understanding of the Scriptures. And so he quotes a Scripture for them. And he pulls it from one that they would be extremely familiar with. He doesn't pull it from Isaiah or Daniel or one of the other prophets in the Old Testament because, of course, they didn't use those. Right? The Sadducee group only used the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And he pulls a quote from the Pentateuch, Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. And he says, I am, what does he say there? I am the God of, let's look at it. Let's look at it, let's remind ourselves. Just so we're looking at the scriptures ourselves as we're studying this. Let me pull it back up. If you have it, um, if you have your Bible out, pull up Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. And he said, "I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob." And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is a scene from the burning bush. If you've ever heard of that story from the Old Testament, and it's where Jesus—I mean, where God—is describing Himself to Moses, and He's saying, "I am," in the Greek, "ego emi," "I am the God." Jacob I am the God of Abraham he's saying in the present tense so it means basically two things there's two things that that type of phrase means the first is he's saying to Moses they're not dead I'm the God of the living that's that's what it says in our chapter in Matthew 22 I'm the God of living not the God of the dead but secondly and more importantly God is using possessives with his name I am the God of Jacob I am the God of Abraham. Who do you use possessives with on this earth? Right? Do you ever say something along the lines of like, my lady, my man, (laughs) my main man, (laughs) right? You wouldn't dare to use possessives of someone who you weren't in a giving, intimate relationship with. Right? You just wouldn't do it. what God is getting across to Moses at the burning bush is I have had a relationship with the people that I created. I'm the, I'm their God, right? I'm the creator. But what I'm, what I'm, what's most important, what's happening now, Moses, is the fact that I want a personal relationship with the people. I want you to know that I am the God of intimacy, personal relationship, and because of that, you are going to be subsumed into my love. It, it ties into the myth. Have you ever watched Pinocchio before? Watch Pinocchio. What did Pinocchio want to do? Remember? He wanted to be a real boy, right? We all know that we're but a breath. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, we're like grass. Here one day, withers and gone the next. Ephemeral, at best. Without heaven and hell, that ephemeral nature takes on a very powerfully negative connotation, right? Without heaven and hell, nothing matters. It doesn't matter. Nothing counts. The love of God is what makes us fully whole and fully real. And that's what I meant when I started our summer and I said love wins. When we hitch ourselves to God, or a better way to put it is, when God comes to us, when God forms a personal relationship with us, we become whole and we become real and we become eternal. It's an eternal love. The Bible talks about this all the time. Throughout the Psalms, it talks about God's everlasting love. And when you get into God's everlasting love, guess what? You're everlasting. You're everlasting in His love. There's a deep sense in which We don't become who we were created to be outside of the love of God. And again, that's what the the Sadducees approaching Jesus did not understand that. They could not understand that. That's why Jesus says, you don't understand the power of God. God has the power not only to change an individual, God has the power to change the world and he's going to change it through the resurrection. And he says, my love is going to be displayed in the power of the resurrection on the cross. That's what Jesus is setting up for, even here in chapter 22. And we're going to get there as we get towards chapter 28 of Matthew. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That that heaven is a place, not just where you get to strum some guitar and sit on a fluffy white cloud, but it's the place where you're most fully and most intimately going to experience the love of God. It's going to make every pain in this world... Mother Teresa says it this way. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm going to forget the quote. The point is, every pain on this earth, every sorrow, every struggle, every fear is in but a moment going to be wiped away as a drop. C.S. Lewis talks about that in in this book called The Great Divorce. You ever heard of this thing called The Great Divorce? And it's this idea that those who are in heaven, uh, I'm sorry, those who are in hell, and they get to visit heaven, they're as though they're like a shadow of a person. They're not real. They're not full. And that's very much what Jesus is getting across here. He's he's like Sadducees. You don't know and understand the love of God. That's the bottom line. That's why you think this heaven and hell business is silly because you don't know it. You've never experienced it. You don't know the true God. The true God. The God who says, "I am." The God of Nathan. I am the God of Bob. I am the God of Jill. Because I have an intimate, everlasting relationship with them. You know, and lastly, application point. Application point. You know, living the Christian life is sometimes a little more, we, we make it a little more complicated than it really is. Living the Christian life can be something as simple as telling through your words and your actions, your neighbor, your coworker, your family member, your friend, whatever it might be, you are not alone. That's what we do as a church, right? We share about Jesus Christ, of course. But what we say every, every second, every moment you spend with another human being, where you're sharing real love with them, love that flows out of you from Christ, you're telling them, you are not alone. You're not alone, ever, ever alone, because that is the message of the God of the Bible. You are never alone. My prayer is that as a body, as a church, that we would, we would for the people all around us that we're interacting with on a regular basis, that our message to them would be, you are not alone. Y'all, Charlottesville can be a very lonely place right? You've got students who are here for a short amount of time. You've got professors. You've got people who are very transient living here. We all need love. We all need this kind of intimacy. We all need to be sharing this kind of intimacy. But we have to remind ourselves, as we come to this table, that ultimately it originates in God. The love that we have for other people, the love that tells them they're not alone, comes from a God who tells us constantly, and I hope you hear it today, I hope you hear it today. You are not alone. You will never be forsaken. And you are intimately connected to love itself. That's what we do when we take the bread, we take the wine. It's a picture of the fact that the love of Jesus Christ is so connected with us that it's actually like it's a part of our body. It's part of our being. Be encouraged. God loves you. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know about I don't know about everyone in here today, some of the folks in here today, Lord, but I I forget your love. Lord, some days it feels like I can't believe in love. This this this, World's just too hard sometimes, Lord. There's too much brokenness. There's too many broken relationships. There's so much pain. There's so much hurt. There's so much anger. There's so much frustration. There's so much just fighting, Lord. And it's easy for us to lose heart. Lord, I pray I pray for myself and I pray for everyone here today, Lord. Help us not lose heart. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, Lord. May those words carry us this week. May we remember that your love was proven to us on the cross through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here who is feeling a sense of losing heart. Feeling a sense that maybe life is just one big experience of abandonment. Lord, I pray that You would change that today. Lord, may the power of Your Spirit, the power of Your love through Jesus Christ break through the walls, Lord, that we might know and that we might feel, that we might experience that You love us, Lord, that You're with us, that You'll never forsake us. And Lord, I pray that we would carry that message with us the people we interact with this week, that we would carry the message, I love you, and you're not alone, because this is who God is. Lord, thanks for this time to open up your word together. Thanks for this time to remember that heaven and hell are real, and that you are drawing us towards yourself. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. As I just mentioned, oh whoops, sorry, there's still a oh, plastic on the bread. As I just mentioned, this this meal is a reminder to us, for us about God's love. This meal is a reminder of God's love, of his care for us and of the fact that the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus are real and they have real consequences. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus had his disciples in the upper room and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we'll each take a piece of bread off of here and we'll hold it till the end so we can all partake together.